Long before this was Memorial Sunday or Memorial Weekend, the church claimed this day as Trinity Sunday. And so we focus our thoughts for a few moments on this important topic. Although this passage is not about that doctrine per se, um, it does lend itself because it has been chosen specifically by the church to be one of the passages read on this day. And it talks of God, and it talks of Christ, and it talks of the Spirit. And so our hearts gather around this holy mystery. One of our church fathers said ages ago, it was Augustine, he said that the Holy Trinity was far beyond his ability to understand the nature of God. And I know that as we think on this subject, that it would be good if there were some kind of formula by which we could simply solve that mystery. And yet, we are not going to be offered that today. We come together into the midst of looking at the depth of who God is without fully being able to comp comprehend or to describe all that God contains. Michelangelo lay on his back painting, painting the Sistine Chapel. His creative expressions of God's appearance Four years he worked, if not longer, with a team of artists that covered the ceiling and the frescoes, those areas with these depictions of characters from within the Bible. But the thing that was so remarkable was that he even painted the face of God into the midst of his artwork. How he might have wondered about that, who God was. Did he model God after somebody that he had seen and respected, or did he create something entirely new? You've seen the picture of God as God reaches out his hand in the creation of Adam, and Adam sort of nonchalantly puts his hand up toward God as if he could take it or leave it, you know. The way in which we picture God is so tied in with who we are and what is going on in our lives. John, as he records the gospel of, of Jesus, tells about that circumstance in which Thomas and Philip approached him. Jesus was sharing, he said, in my father's house there are many dwelling places if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus spoke so uh, wonderfully at that time, not so exclusively as we use it today, but so wonderfully and perceptively about the nature of his life and what he offered in terms of knowledge about God. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him 
and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still, still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I don't know about your concept of the way in which God looks. It may be that you have it very clear in your mind. It may be that it is a cloud in your mind, something that you peer through the mist in order to get just a glimpse of. I believe that that's the way it was for most of the disciples and particularly for Paul as this apostle come lately. He describes in his letter to the, the Christians at Colossae this image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. Here as we enter the end days of school, not only are children celebrating, but the teachers are celebrating too, right? I wonder if any kind of data has been put together on the amount of consumption of Elmer's glue in elementary schools. <laughs> I, I would like to know if anyone has figured this out. Uh, teachers continue to put those little bottles on students' desks, and you know it's just completely irresistible. The, the children, when it's sitting there in front of them, are saying, I wonder what that tastes like. And it's a good thing that this is non-toxic stuff because we would have a lot of children laid out in, in terrible condition. <laughs> But I wonder, I wonder even more so, what is it that holds us together? You see, what, what is the glue that we think of, that we take in? What is it that characterizes our concepts about God? These descriptions of God, particularly today on Trinity Sunday, have to do with the connectedness of how God shares relationship within himself, within herself, and with us as well. Sue and I were in Washington, D.C. a few years back, and we walked around a corner, and there we stood before Salvador Dali's painting of The Last Supper. Uh, some of you will remember Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper, and how all of the disciples are on one side of the table. It's almost as if Jesus said, everybody get over here, so somebody's going to take a picture, you know. It's, it's that kind of painting. And, and, so, um, and, it's, and it's a beautiful depiction. I don't think it in the slightest is realistic about the nature of the upper room and the sharing that was going on in that space, but it is a beautiful depiction. Um, and Salvador Dali has taken that painting and raised it to a very modernistic level. And he has the table there and the disciples that are gathered around it. But the thing that's so profound about it is, is this large figure of Christ that hovers above the table, not only at the table, but hovers above the table with his outstretched arms. 
and it just was mesmerizing to me. I was drawn in by it, and so I began to get a little closer and a closer, little closer. Sue saw the line on the floor by which you were supposed to keep your distance. And I guess I, I just did not see that at all and was drawn closer and closer to the painting. And I was just, just looking right at it, just up close to it. When I felt a hand on my shoulder, the guard said, step back, sir. And I said, I wasn't going to touch it. He said, we do not know that. <laughs> and I, I was chastised and, and kept at a distance. And I tried to explain to him that I was just so interested in the nuances of what Salvador Dali was trying to do. And I could tell it made no difference to him whatsoever. But are you interested? Are you interested in what Paul is trying to paint here in these words. Are you, are you eating the glue of what he's trying to put together? Are you understanding the nature of this holy mystery? Are you interested? This passage is not just about a picture of God. The thing that's so profound is that it's a picture about us. It's, we cannot understand God if we do not understand God's relationship to us. That's the connectivity here. Our lives, so very human, so very vulnerable, so disconnected, so lonely, so imperfect, so flawed. The effects of evil upon life and relationship. This being the very nature of who each of us are. And yet, we are not alone. God has helped us. We say occasionally, God help them. God is helping. God has sent his son in order that we might be connected with him. God has sent himself in his son. God has sent his spirit in every way. God is reaching out to embrace us and to draw us into relationship even in the midst of all that is going on with who we are. This passage starts out with the words, so then, ah, it ought to occur to us that maybe then the answer that is being given has something that is important just in front of it. You remember how the eighth chapter begins, don't you, in the book of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You understand what's going on here? Is that you and I don't have to function in the world of guilt so much anymore in relationship to the law. We can't set that right. But Christ can set it right by the nature of the way in which God loves all 
people. It is incredible when we think about it, if we think about it. That's the problem, we don't think about it. We put in capsule form our concepts of who God is and who God will extend God's grace to, and we try to package God. This is the bane of our existence in the church, and we become so harmful to ourselves and to others when we do this. The truth is that God seeks to make all of us his children. And in fact, he is already creator of us, and so we are his children. But he wishes for us to really know that we are his children and to live into that relationship. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And we know that because we've experienced it. I don't have to tell you the evil things and the toll they take on our lives. You know this. You're human. You know the damage that can be done by evil. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live you will live. All of us are called to be those who live in Christ. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now that's a profound word there. And I hope that you hear it in perspective to yourself. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Hear that that God has made you his very own. Do you hear that? Also, do you hear it in relationship to others? We become suspicious of others, even other Christians, even other Christians, those whom God has blessed, maybe in different ways than he has blessed us, but we become suspicious whether they are really the children of God or not. And I'm not saying that it's not important for us to be discerning. But when we become suspicious, it begins to be the breakdown of this sentence that is so critical for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We know what that's like. We may not know how to put it into words, but we know that when we've done something wrong and when sin has begun to take its toll on us and evil, that we become very skittish. We become fearful the longer it goes on because we know the ramifications in our life. But we are children of God. You remember the story of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told Helmut Tillich wrote a book that he entitled The Waiting Father because he felt like that, that was a misnamed parable. Jesus didn't name it. Jesus didn't say, now I'm about to tell you the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus didn't put that name on it. We put the name on it. Helmut Tillich would say, we're really talking about God here, aren't we? And it's about the waiting father, the father that goes out even seeking the son. When the son hasn't even fully returned home, the the father meets him on the road as he's coming back. What a powerful image of God that is, that he is seeking, seeking 
because he loves so deeply. In the story of Nicodemus, this real encounter, Jesus surely was suspect of Nicodemus. He came at night. He was of the temple elite. He came with questions. Was it sort of uh, the beginning of this note-taking that was going to be the end of Jesus' earthly life? How was Jesus to know this? Of course, Jesus is God. How would he not know it? But what was so fascinating is that as God sees Nicodemus, he does not see it in such a judgmental way. But he sees Nicodemus and fills him with his love and his invitation to the point that he is sharing with Nicodemus, this is how you make it happen, that you invite God's spirit. It it will give you a new sense of who you are. You will be reborn in the midst of this. You remember how Jesus fell into conversation with the woman at the well, a person that none of his disciples would have ever glanced at, much less talked to or shared a drink of water with. And yet this was the very nature of Christ because she too was a child of God. She too was a child of God. And do you remember the Gadarean demoniac that Jesus sailed to on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and how in his lunacy he was living out among uh, the graves and Jesus did not relate to him as if this is someone we've got to be careful with. Jesus extended the family of God in his direction. I tell you, we are children of God, and it's a powerful thought if we were to live into that relationship, and especially if we were to live into it to the point that we would think that others might be children of God as well. You and I are called to be God's people. And how does that take its very essence within us. When we were up in Tennessee just recently, we went to welcome in our new grandson, Everett. We had primary responsibility for taking care of our granddaughter, Ruby, while her mama and daddy were in the hospital. And so when we brought Ruby back home to Margaret's and Caleb's house and put her to bed that evening of the birth, we went to bed in the room next door to hers. The most precious thing I have heard in as long as I can remember is Ruby waking up the next morning and I take great pride that she called for me. <laughs> I still hear her voice, Papa, Papa, come get me. And it was just delightful. Now, when I, when I talk to my father, um, I will often just call him dad, you know, when we're in adult conversation with each other, I'll call him dad, and that's fine, it does the trick. 
Um, I don't ever call him father to my to his face. Um, I'll refer to him as my father, but I don't call him father to his face. Um, but dad itself is manageable as an adult word. But when he and I have an intimate conversation, a theological conversation or something to do with family or just our being close to each other. You know the word that I'll use, don't you? It's the same word that you use, right? Daddy. Daddy. And there's an intimacy to that word that carries so much weight. And here um, it's fascinating because uh, Paul says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father. And now the, the word to focus on here is the Abba, because Jesus spoke Aramaic. This was the colloquial language of the day. And Abba, it, he could have said Ab, which would have been like saying dead. But this was a childish word. Um, in Aramaic. And it was the word that was used in the home when children would call for their daddy. It meant daddy. It was very close and intimate, this connection. Daddy, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I don't know if you understand just how deeply connected that makes us But we should feel that. We should know that because God loves us so. He wants us to be daddy. He wants wants to be daddy for us. Two boys were out playing in the yard. They were brothers tossing the baseball back and forth. One of the boys, when it was tossed to him, stopped and he looked at his brother and he shook his head And he said, do you remember which one of us is adopted? And the other brother looked at him, and he couldn't. And so they got together and went to their father and said to the father, we know that one of us is adopted, but could you tell us which one? And the father paused and then said with great wisdom, I just can't remember. I just can't remember. However you have come into God's family, your connection with him is as good as any connection that he has to offer. You are a child of God. Did I say that? You are a child of God, an heir an heir. If you were to get a message tomorrow morning that some long lost uncle of yours died and lo and behold left everything he had and he was a wealthy man. He left that to you and you thought to yourself how could this be and you had inherited these millions and millions of dollars this great estate. You would think to yourself What kind of man is that, that he leaves it to somebody like me, right? And then you would begin to live out your life in relationship to the grace of that blessing. This is where you and I are. 
God has poured out his very life for us. He's done it in every way that he knows how. He has been our creator. He's given us this world, and he's given us the quiet and quiet and nice instructions to take care of the world, to take care of our bodies, to take care of this planet. He has come as our redeemer in Christ. And he has sent not only Christ as one to live above us, but one to live beside us who understands our suffering and our sorrow. And he has sent the spirit to us, sent the spirit to us in order that we might have a guide and companion. Not to think that Christ is dead and gone, but that Christ always lives in our midst. I have a question for you. How many of you watched the royal wedding last week? <laughs> Go ahead and raise your hand. Admit to it. I'm not going to ask if you were up at 4 a.m., okay? The coverage started early, early because of the time difference. Um, I, I have to admit, I, I did not see the wedding footage as it was occurring, but I did have to get on YouTube that night before I went to bed. And because I had heard several people particularly talk about Bishop Michael Curry's sermon. And so I had to watch and listen to that graceful man sharing from his heart a very simple message as he talked about love. Over and over again in that sermon, he said, there is power in love. Fascinating. There is power in love. And what you and I would have a very easy time hearing, it's interesting that as the camera panned his audience, <laughs> that it made so many uncomfortable. They we're looking around. They thought the sermon is going a little long. You're not thinking that right now, I hope. Um, they, they were thinking the sermon's going a little long. When's he going to be through with this? They were out of their element. The important thing, though, is did they get the message? Did they eat the glue? Did they eat the glue? Is there anything that stuck there? Who knows? Maybe we will see, but that message is a great message. And I'm here to tell you that Trinity Sunday is not about doctrine. It is not about church doctrine. It is about knowing the nature of God, the nature of God, the relationship that he has with himself or herself and you just get over all the gender stuff about God. If you want some references about God being mother, I can give you those references in the Old Testament, okay? So we're not talking about a him or a her here. We're talking about God. Do you know the nature of God? This is what Trinity Sunday is about. God from the very beginning is love. Loving creator, loving redeemer, loving guide, creating and sustaining 
community and family in only the way that God can. As we come to the close of our worship, we're going to have the opportunity to sing about the Trinity. And as we sing about the Trinity, I want to invite you to be in a state of prayer. And I know that you can live in that state of prayer where you're seated, and that is fine. But I want you to know that this altar is open as well. And I want to open it specifically for those who particularly have heard the message of who God is today in your life in a new way. I want you to know that you can come here and kneel and to say, God, this is real. I know that you are here for me and that you seek to make me a child of yours. And for us to be able to say yes to that is incredible. And I want you to know that you're invited to come and to pray that here at this altar. Also, for those of you who have just needed a reminder to know if you're a child of God, that you have been adopted and that you are heirs of his kingdom, how wealthy can you be? If it has occurred to you, I want you to know this altar is open for you to come and to pray here in thanksgiving for that relationship once more.